This is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in His power and love even now as you listen. Open your Bibles this morning to Mark chapter 2. If you are new here today, uh, we are walking through the gospel of Mark and we have come to the second chapter of Mark today, which is all about how God meets our deepest need. Mark chapter 2, and we're going to look this morning at verses 1 through 12 and talk about how God meets our deepest need. Mark 2, and let's begin in verse 1. The Bible says, and when he returned to Capernaum, after some days it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together, so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic, carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now, some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word, and we thank you for the way that it is a living word, an active word, and that your spirit speaks to us through your word. And so, Father, we know that explosive, wonderful things can happen when we have open Bibles and open hearts, and your spirit is working. And so we pray now that you would meet with us. We pray that you would encounter us. We have brought together today in this room all kinds of different needs in our lives, whether it's to be challenged or convicted or comforted or encouraged. Lord, you know. You know. And so we pray that you would take your word and that you would would make it intersect with the deepest need in our lives. Show us today how you do meet our deepest need. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as I read this text this week, over and over again, I was trying to imagine what it must have been like 
in that room. <laughs> As they began to hear something happening on the ceiling and, and inevitably I'm sure that as they were digging the hole in this roof that some of the, the debris started to, to come down on the people. And it made me think of something that happened in the life of one of my preaching heroes, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. Martin Lloyd-Jones was the pastor of Westminster Chapel in London. And on June 18, 1944, as they gathered together for their morning service, about 20 minutes into the service, Dr. Lloyd-Jones was praying, and they heard the unmistakable, terrifying sound of a German rocket coming in. Now, late in World War II, uh, Hitler's air force was no longer able to threaten Great Britain. The, 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 the German air force had been decimated by that point. But Hitler's scientists had been working throughout the war on a secret weapon, which he was prepared to unleash and did unleash in 1944 and 1945, it was the V-1 rocket. Sometimes people call them buzz bombs. They were really the, the world's first cruise missiles. And so in 1944 and 45, these terror weapons were unleashed on metropolitan London. And the people grew used to their sound. The, the V-1 rocket as it came in had sort of a, a dr- an, an unmistakable droning sound and, and then, just before it hit, there would be several seconds of silence as the warhead armed itself and then terrifying impact. So on this morning, the pastor was praying and the congregation hears a rocket coming in and it's getting louder and louder and closer and closer and then the engine seemingly cut off right above the church and they brace for impact. And when impact came, which thankfully was several hundred yards away, so not a direct hit, but it was close enough that it shook the entire church building. To the point that uh, bits, little bits of ceiling and uh, bits of the ceiling and, and dust began to, to come down. Some of it on Dr. Lloyd Jones's shoulders. No one would ever forget that day. But but what stood out to them the most was the reaction of Dr. Lloyd Jones. First of all, he he stood he stood there and didn't flinch. As the rocket came in. In fact, he, he, he kept on praying as the rocket grew closer and closer. And then when it did hit, he paused for a few seconds and then kept right on praying. Now, uh, he had a sermon later on in the service. And knowing Martin Lloyd-Jones, I'm sure it was a good one. But he had preached a sermon before he ever got up to preach the sermon because nobody would would ever forget his calm and composure and trust in God and courage under fire. But we see here uh, another example of uh, of bits of of the ceiling coming down on the preacher in this text but for a very different reason. And in the midst of it all, 
what we're going to see here is how God meets our deepest need. So what do we see here in this text in, in Mark 2? The first thing we see is that Jesus is delivering the gospel. Jesus is delivering the gospel. By the way, on the back of your, your new bulletin, there's plenty of room there to take notes if you desire to, to do that. Let's look at verses 1 and 2 together. And when he returned to Capernaum, after some days it was reported that he was at home, and many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door, and he was preaching the word to them. So, Last week, we saw that Jesus heals this leper. And after the healing of the leper, word gets out and, and, and it causes such notoriety. Jesus has become so famous at this point that at least for a period of time, he cannot even enter a town or a city. Jesus has to, has to stay outside of towns and cities for a while and people were coming to him. Well, by this point, things have calmed down to the point that once again, he could enter Capernaum. Now, Capernaum was his home base of operations during his ministry and Galilee. It was where he, he stayed and probably Jesus would stay at the house of Simon Peter, which is probably where they are at this point. And so he comes back into Capernaum. He's at the, he, people hear that he's back, and immediately this, this mob of people forms at the door. And so they're, just, they're packed around the, the doorway to this, this house, just like, like sardines, just kind of like bees on honey. Just, they're, they're mobbing around this, this door. And it says at the end of verse 2 that he was preaching the word to them. So what was the message of Jesus like? Well, we saw that in chapter 1 of Mark, where it, Mark kind of gives a summary of the, the message of Jesus. It says there in Mark 1, 14 and 15, After John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled. And the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So the message that Jesus was proclaiming was that this is God's time. This is an extraordinary moment. God is doing something brand new in the world. It's now. It's happening. And you've heard of kings and kingdoms, but now God is becoming king. God has come to restore and to renew his, this world that has become so broken. Don't miss out on this. You don't want to miss out. It's time to, to repent, to turn, and to trust in this good news. Now, what we've seen so far in Mark, in all of these healings and the exorcisms, yes, the, these, Jesus is doing these miracles because he loves people. Certainly, that's the case. He, he loves people. He, he wants to relieve their pain. Certainly, that's true. But they have a deeper significance. These miracles are signs they are signs that the time is fulfilled and, the, and, the, and that the kingdom of God is arriving. 
And that God has come to, to renew the, the brokenness of this world. One day Jesus is coming again. And all of the brokenness is going to be fixed. Everything sad is going to come untrue. And until that time, he's using you and me as instruments of healing in the midst of this broken world to go forth and to share his love and to deliver the good news of the gospel to others. And so the first thing that we see here is that Jesus is delivering the gospel. Second, we see that Jesus is delighting in faith. Verses 3 through 5. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic, carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. (laughs) And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now just imagine this. I mean, when you're reading the Gospels, it's important to try to put yourself in the story. So try to put yourself here. <laughs> You've got these, these four guys coming, and they're carrying this pallet, this cot, and there's a paralyzed man on this bed, and you've got four guys at each corner of the bed, and so they approach this house. And, and they look and they see this mob just packed around the entranceway. And immediately they, they think, we have no chance of Jesus meeting our need today. Well, in the first century in Israel, houses had flat roofs. And the roof would have been made out of dried mud and maybe some straw or pitch that was mixed in with the mud. But they were always flat. And they would have an outside staircase going up to the roof. And so as they approach the scene and they see this, 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 this people just mobbed and packed in around the door, they look at each other they say, we'll never get to see him at this rate. And so... <laughs> They, they make this desperate, bold move. And they, they take the bed up the outside staircase, go up on top of this flat roof, and they begin to dig a hole in the roof. Now listen, you don't do something that desperate unless two things are true. First of all, it shows us that they loved this man very much. Now we don't know the relationship. Could have been their father. Could have been their brother. Could have been a friend. We don't know. But listen, you don't make a move this bold and this desperate unless you have a deep, deep love for someone. And so it's obvious that they, they love this paralyzed man. And then you don't do something like this unless you have faith. The faith to believe that if they believe that if they could only somehow, some way, get him in front of Jesus, that something good was going to happen. They obviously believed that. Why would they do something like this unless they believed that if they could only get their loved one in front of Jesus? that he was going to do something beautiful. They obviously 
believe that. Listen, do you believe when you face a challenge, an issue, a problem, maybe something that seems like a mountain in front of you, do you believe that if you can only get it in front of Jesus, that everything's going to be okay? That's exactly how we should feel. That's how Jesus wants us to feel. The Bible tells us in Philippians 4, 6, and 7, Do not be anxious about anything. In other words, don't worry about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. In other words, just put it before Him. Just like they're, they're lowering this man in, in front of Jesus, just, just put whatever the need is. Put the challenge, put the problem. Just put it in front of Jesus. Present it to him. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, notice the reaction of the people that would have been there. Look at the reaction of Jesus. The first thing that probably would have happened is is that they heard something going on even before they saw something going on. Because they would have heard something happening above their heads. Scratching, you know, uh, earth being moved. Uh, they would have heard something even before they, they, they saw something. And so uh, people are beginning to look up and, and then it's becoming obvious that these, you know, these nuts are digging through the roof. And, and I mean, the crowd had to have been just, just uh, incredulous. Eyes bugged out, jaws dropped. They're, they're, they're actually, they're digging a hole in the roof. We think this is probably Peter's house. Knowing Peter's personality, you know, I'm surprised Peter wasn't just rushing up the outside staircase you know, to see what was going on. And maybe he did, we don't know. But Jesus, Jesus is loving what is happening. He's loving this. Because Jesus doesn't just see these guys digging a hole in the roof. Jesus sees their faith. He sees their faith. And when you read the Gospels, time and again, you see that what delights the heart of Jesus is when we will simply trust him. He he delights in our faith. And so Jesus is, 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 is loving this. Listen, when we understand that, it would change the way that we pray. It would make us want to pray. Instead of trying to deal with things ourselves and figure out things for our, 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 ourselves and, and do it ourselves, rely on ourselves, it would make us want to put things before Jesus. Knowing that Jesus delights in that, knowing that God just delights in answering prayers. I love what the Christian music artist Lecrae says. People who trust in self are limited by self. People who trust in God are limitless. So, much to the delight of Jesus, this man is lowered before him. This bed is lowered down before him. But then Jesus throws a curve, doesn't he? What are we expecting to say at this point? 
I mean, the first thing that we expect Jesus to say is, you're healed. But instead he says, your sins are forgiven. Now this is not what we the readers are expecting to hear. It's not what this paralyzed man and his friends were expecting to hear. Because they've come that day not thinking about this man's need for the forgiveness of his sins. They've come thinking that he might be able to walk again. And so when Jesus says, son, your sins are forgiven, maybe they're thinking, well, okay, Jesus, but we have a more immediate need. And then this is a curveball to the scribes as well. The scribes were the experts in the religious law. And they are theologically sophisticated enough to know that only God can pronounce the forgiveness of sins. What's going on here? The third thing that we see here is that Jesus is meeting the deepest need. Meeting the deepest need. Verses 6 and 7. Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And they're right. The Bible teaches that that ultimately the forgiveness of sins has to come from God because ultimately all sin is against God. And the one doing the forgiving has to be the one sinned against you know, if, 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 if Tom, Dick, and Harry are standing over here having a conversation, and uh, Tom just hauls off and just slugs uh, Dick, floors him, here's poor Dick down on the ground, and here's Harry standing off to the side, and Harry says, Tom, I forgive you for that. <laughs> I mean, here's, here's poor Dick, he's, he, he's down here on the ground, he's thinking, hey, what about me? I, I'm the one who was slugged. But ultimately, all sin is against God, and and forgiveness has to come from God. And so uh, these scribes are thinking, you know, how how can this man pronounce the forgiveness of sins unless he's more than a man, unless he's the God man? Which is exactly who Jesus was. And we see that here in what happens next because Jesus can read their minds and their hearts. Verses 8 and 9. And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise, take up your bed? And walk. Now that question is a doozy. Which is easier? Well, the greater miracle was the forgiveness of sins. The forgiveness of sins was a far greater miracle than than the healing of paralysis. But but see, the forgiveness of sins is an invisible miracle. Something that happens in your heart. You can't see it. What Jesus is going to do is prove his authority to do the invisible miracle by doing the visible 
miracle. Verses 10 through 12. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. Oh, there's so much here. First of all, the authority of Jesus. What have we seen so far in the Gospel of Mark? We've seen his, the authority in his teaching. We've seen his authority over demons. We've seen his authority over disease and all kinds of sickness. And now we see his authority to forgive sins. The famous psychiatrist Carl Menninger once said that if he could only convince his patients that they were truly forgiven, that 75% of them would just walk out free and clear. Because deep within every single one of us, there's, an, there's a deep unspoken need to know that we are right with God. To know that we are forgiven. To, to, to know that God grants a new beginning, a fresh start, and this is, this, is, this is this man's deepest need, far greater than his paralysis. Now, that's not what he's thinking. He hasn't come there thinking that he needs his sins forgiven. He's thinking, I just want to walk again. And he's probably thinking, if only I could walk again, then everything in life would be right. He's probably been thinking this for years. If I could only walk, you know, then I would be satisfied, then, then life would be right. But suppose Jesus had healed his body and left the issues in his soul unresolved. What, what, how would that have played out? Well, well, certainly there would have been an initial euphoria when he was healed, he would have been thrilled. He would have been, you know, on cloud nine. But for how long? A couple of months, three, four months. But then life inevitably gets back to normal. And there would still be these unresolved issues in his heart. And then even deeper dissatisfaction and disillusionment would set in. Cynthia Heimel is a writer who lives in New York. And she was in sort of the, the unique position of, of seeing a number of her friends who came to the city to, to work in the theater and so forth. And, and she knew them before they made it. She knew them before they had any fame and fortune, and then she knew them after. She knew them when they first came to the city and they were just working to get their break. And, you know, they were working in restaurants and they were working just taking tickets in the theater and, and so forth. Just, just trying to, to catch a break. But then she knew them after they, they got their break. And, and, and they, they, they had what, what they had dreamed about. But what was the result in their lives? She says this. I pity celebrities. <laughs> no, I do. They were once perfectly pleasant human beings, but now their wrath is awful. 
More than any of us, they wanted fame. They worked. They pushed. The morning after each of them became famous, they wanted to take an overdose because that giant thing they were striving for, that fame thing that was going to make everything okay, that was going to provide them with personal fulfillment and happiness, had happened and nothing changed. They were still them. The disillusionment turned them howling and insufferable. I think when God wants to play a really rotten, practical joke on you, he grants your deepest wish. Now, of course, we know that God isn't into playing rotten, practical jokes on us. And so a lot of times, rather than granting us our deepest wish, he meets our deepest need. He wants to do something beyond all we can ask or imagine. Informing us and shaping us into the image of his son. Listen, what is that thing in life that you think, if, if it happened, that you'd, you'd be truly satisfied? If you were gut level honest with yourself, you know, in a crowd this size, I'm sure for some of us, it would be money. If I, if I had wealth, I could be truly happy. No, you wouldn't. For some of you, it's maybe the, it's, it's relational. You're in love with the idea of being in love. If I could only meet the right person, that would be it. That'd be it. That would be my satisfaction. No, it wouldn't. For some, it might be the attainment of a certain position in life or maybe acceptance by a certain group of people. And you think, if that happened, it'd be good for me. It'd be okay. Be satisfied. No, you wouldn't. For some, it would be like, if, 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 if I could get this health issue behind me, if I could only feel good physically again, then, then, then that would be, I would be totally joyful. No. And here's the reason. The theologian Augustine says it. Augustine says, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it rests in you. It's only God that can satisfy the deepest need in our lives. And so Jesus says here, I'm not just going to, to do immediately first what you want me to do and let you think. I'm, I'm not going to just deal with your body and leave the issue in your soul unresolved and, and let you think that the deepest need has been met when it's not been met. Jesus says, I'm going to take you deeper. You know, C.S. Lewis wrote a book called The Voyage of the Dawn Treader. It's part of the Chronicles of Narnia. And there's a character in the Voyage of the Dawn Treader named Eustace. And he's this, this mean kid. He's selfish. He's just, he can't get along with anybody. He's just sort of this insufferable kid. And one day he's on this boat, the Dawn Treader. 
And he comes upon an island, and on this island there's a cave. And Eustace goes into the cave, and he discovers this, uh, this pile of diamonds and jewels and, and, and gold. And because of the, the type of person that, 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 he, that he is, he says, yes, I'm going I'm to use this wealth to get back at everybody who's ever wronged me. I'm going to use my wealth to just wield power over my enemies. And then he falls asleep, literally on top of this pile of jewels. And he's having, he falls asleep with all these dragonish thoughts going on in his head. And he wakes up, and he's become a dragon. And he's trapped. He's trapped on the island. He's trapped in his dragon skin. And then he looks up, and he sees Aslan, the lion, who represents Jesus. And Aslan points Eustace to a a clear pool of water, And he says, take that skin off and immerse yourself in this water. And so Eustace begins to to, kind of gnaw and claw at his dragon skin. And he he peels off a layer of it. And to his horror, there's just another layer of dragon skin. And he peels off the second layer and just more dragon scales. And the third time, nothing there but another dragon skin. And then Aslan, Jesus, looks at him and he says, you're going to have to let me go deeper. And later on in the story, Eustace describes what happened next. He says, I was, I was afraid of his claws, I can tell you, but I was pretty nearly desperate now. The first tear he made was so deep that I thought it had gone right into my heart. And when he began pulling the skin off, it hurt worse than anything I've ever felt. Well, he pulled the beastly stuff right off, just as I thought I'd done it myself the other three times, only they hadn't hurt And there it was lying on the grass, only ever so much thicker and darker and more knobbly looking than the others had been. Then he caught hold of me and threw me into the water. It smarted like anything, but only for a moment. Then I saw I turned into a boy again. See, this is what Jesus does. Jesus, Jesus is... Not into the quick fix. Jesus is into meeting the deepest need and forming us and shaping us, remaking us into the people that he created us to be. Now listen, that begins with being reconciled to God. It begins with the forgiveness of sins. How can Jesus just pronounce the forgiveness of sins for this man? After all, sin has to be atoned for. Jesus can say your sins are forgiven because Jesus knows that he's headed to Jerusalem where all sin is going to be laid on him. You see, in this story, Jesus is taking the first step toward the cross. Jesus 
in pronouncing the, the forgiveness of sin and claiming the authority to forgive sins, Jesus is incurring the wrath of these religious leaders that is going to eventually lead to the cross. Jesus here, in pronouncing your sins are forgiven, is opening himself up to accusation, condemnation, and death. You see, Jesus is going to be accused so that we can be accepted. Jesus is going to be condemned so that we can be acquitted. And Jesus is going to die and rise again so that we can have life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the wonders of the gospel. We thank you for the forgiveness of sins. We thank you that because of the work of Christ, that you are not counting our sins against us. If we know Christ, if we are in Christ. As we just bow for prayer right now, are you in Christ? Have you turned to Jesus and and trusted in Him? Jesus says, repent and believe in the gospel. Have you done that? Have Have you turned from seeking to do life apart from Him and turned to Jesus and trusted in His finished work for you on the cross, the resurrection? Turn to Him and trust Him today and find life the forgiveness of sins, a new beginning in Him. So Father, we pray that You would speak to our hearts now in this time of invitation. Lord, You know the needs in our lives. Would You work to meet each one of them for Your glory's sake. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. In just a moment, we're going to sing a song of invitation. If you're here today and you want to know more about a relationship with Christ. We would love to talk with you and pray with you. We'll be here at the front for you during the time of invitation and and after. If you're here today and God's speaking to you about a need in your life, if you're here and you want to be a part of this church family, and we would love to welcome you as you come today. Let's stand and sing. I hope you've been blessed by this message. Christ is the answer for every need, now and for all eternity. As someone once said, Jesus plus nothing equals everything, and everything minus Jesus equals nothing. Have you trusted in Jesus as your Savior? If not, why not now? His arms are open wide to receive you. It may help to pray a prayer like this. Father, I know that you are holy and that I have sinned and fallen short of your glory. I know that you are a righteous God who must punish sin, but I believe that your son Jesus took my punishment for me, died in my place, and rose from the dead so that I could have eternal life. Right now, I turn to Jesus and trust in his finished work for me. In his name I pray, amen. You know, the Bible says this in John 1.12, to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And that means that if you've received Christ, God has adopted you as his beloved child, his very own son or daughter. Just imagine it. 
Almighty God, the Lord of this universe, the one who possesses all authority in heaven and earth, is now your loving Father. You are His child. You say, I love Him. How can I honor God with the rest of my life? Well, when you love someone, you want to spend time with them. We get to know God through His Word, through prayer, and through His people. I would encourage you to pick up a copy of the Bible and begin to read it. Begin to pour out your heart to Him in prayer. And find a church family where the Bible is preached, where Christ is exalted, and where His love is flowing. If you're local, I want to invite you to the church I pastor, First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. I'd I'd love to meet you and help you in your Christian journey. I would love to connect you to some other people who love the Lord and who would love you too. Come to one of our services. We worship at 8.30 and 11 on Sunday mornings. Be sure to speak to me before or after the service. Maybe you live outside our area. I'd love for you to write me. My email is pastor at fbcsuffolk.org. Tell me what God is doing in your life. If you have spiritual questions I can help you with, please let me know. We're on this journey together.